forget them, but I don't think this will be one of them for any of you who have participated in Hakuna Mungu Kamaweiwei, right? So thanks for your participation. Um, next week, we will return to the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been looking at together in the book of Matthew. But today, uh, on Tanzania Sunday, I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Colossians. Use the table of contents if you need to, C-O-L-O, Colossians. Um, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. There's a question that I want to invite us to think about together. And the question is this. How can one specific church in Illinois play a part in the global scope of the Christian mission? How can one specific church in one specific part of the globe play a part in the global scope of the Christian mission? Our passage here in the book of Colossians will help us to answer that question. But first, just a little bit of setting the stage before we read it together. The book of Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the first century, less than 20 years after Jesus rose from the grave. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish man who came to believe that Jesus Christ, who had risen from the dead, really is Lord. And Paul became essentially, we would say today, maybe a church-planting missionary, He traveled from place to place, establishing and planting and nourishing new churches as he preached the good news about Jesus Christ. And when he wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul was in Rome living in a kind of house arrest, if you will. If you look at Acts chapter 21 verse 28, it seems that Paul was under arrest awaiting a chance to face charges that had been brought up because there were charges that when he was in the city of Jerusalem as a Jewish person, there were charges that he had brought Greek people with him into the Jewish temple and so desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. In other words... Paul is under arrest because the convictions that he has discovered as somebody who knows and follows Jesus Christ as Lord has led him to live a lifestyle that includes other people in ways that made some of his fellow Jewish people uncomfortable in his day. Because of this, he's living under house arrest and he sends this letter to a church in the city of Colossae, which is in modern day Turkey. In other words, Paul is in Rome and the the church in Colossae is literally on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea from where he is. And this church in Colossae is full of what we would call normal Christians, Normal, ordinary people doing normal, ordinary kinds of jobs in their city, taking care of their kids, 
taking care of their houses, going to work every day to make a a living, ordinary people living ordinary lives. And here's the thing. What we're going to read here is what Paul, the church planting missionary, living under house arrest, says to a local congregation of ordinary Christians living in a specific city across the sea. And more specifically, what we're going to see here is what this church planting missionary has to say to a specific church in one specific place about how they can play their part in the global scope of the Christian mission. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. The directions start like this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God, would you bless the reading of your word today? Amen. So I see here in general two directions from God. Two directions for how a specific church in a specific part of the globe can play its part in the global scope of the Christian mission. And the first direction that we see here for how a specific church in a specific part of the globe can play its part in the global scope of the Christian mission, the first direction that we see here can be summarized in one word, pray. The first direction that we see here in this passage is a direction to pray, and maybe more specifically, to pray globally. To pray with a global awareness of what God is doing in other parts of the planet. Now, why, why would we pray globally? I mean, we've got a lot of needs here in our congregation, right? We've got a lot of real world challenges related to our own houses even sometimes very literally after yesterday's storm. We've got our own challenges in relationships in our own homes. We've got our own challenges that we're kind of fighting through and wrestling through in our own hearts, whether those are just simple things like depression and anxiety, or whether they're kind of deeper struggles than that even. We've got all kinds of problems here in our own lives. Why would we, why would we turn our focus in other directions and pray for what God is doing on the other side of the sea? And there are probably a few different kinds of reasons for that. Why did Paul ask the church in Colossae to pray for him? Maybe in part it was simply because he realized he needed help. He needed prayer. Isn't there something kind of, 
I don't know, inspiring about recognizing that as Paul, the apostle, this guy's like a big deal in the history of Christianity as we think about it, right? But not exactly as he thinks about it. He just thinks about himself as somebody who needs prayer in order to keep going in what he's called to do. Isn't there something kind of inspiring in realizing that as Paul thinks about what he's doing for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he doesn't just say, man, let me tell you how great things are going. When Paul talks about what he's doing for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, brothers and sisters, would you please pray for me? Because I need it. I need help. Maybe it's in part because he recognizes he needs help. Maybe in part it's because he realizes that prayer is powerful. Maybe in part it's because Paul understands what the Bible teaches over and over and over again, that God uses prayer to change the world. But there's another answer that I think is even clearer in the book of Colossians. Why would the church in Colossae pray for Paul? Why would we pray for things going on on the other side of the sea? One of the really big answers that we discover in the book of Colossians is that we as a church in one specific place might pray for believers and might pray for the mission on the other side of the sea because we are all connected together in Christ. And to understand that idea, I want to ask you to flip back a page or so in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. I don't hear a lot of pages flipping. (laughs) Just like the teacher who's like, I see you, right? Like, I don't hear those pages. Maybe you guys are just scrolling. Okay. But look back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. And and notice how Paul begins talking to this local church. He says, Paul, he introduces himself. I'm Paul, an apostle or a sent person of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy, our brother, along with me, to the saints... And faithful brothers, or the footnote in ESV says brothers and sisters, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. So they have a local street address in one specific city. But they also have this deeper identity. Not only do they have a street address in Colossae, they also have a deeper identity that in verse 1 he describes as being in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ or to be united together with the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, that's a huge question theologically, and I'm not going to get into all of it today. But can I just share with you some of the really sweet news of what it means to be united together with Jesus by just pointing you to help one of the ways of how Paul describes what it means to be united together with Jesus here in this book. Scroll down if you're scrolling on your phone or skim down if you're looking on the page to Colossians chapter 1. And here's what Paul writes about the church and more specifically about Jesus beginning in verse 15. This is some thick theology, but it is beautiful. So listen along for a second. Christ 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And Christ is the head of the body, the church. So we've got this big vision of who Christ is, but notice what it means to be united together with Christ, beginning here in verse 18. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. In other words, there's more to follow of those who are going to discover resurrection life like Jesus has found. So that in everything, Christ might be preeminent. Verse 19, for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So to be united together with Jesus includes this idea of being reconciled with God by the blood of Jesus Christ who gave Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But Paul just keeps going with this description in verse 21. And you, y'all here at church, y'all were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... But he has now reconciled y'all in his body of flesh by his death in order to present y'all holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So listen, this is some thick, rich, deep, profound theology here in Colossians chapter one, but I'm just going to boil it down to a few simple ideas for you. To be united together with Jesus, first of all, is to be united together with the one who is the Lord of everybody in every part of the planet. Because this whole thing was created through him and for him. And to be united together with Jesus is to be united together in one body with all of those who have been redeemed from every part of that planet. To be united together in one body with others who, like you and me, through faith have discovered resurrection life and forgiveness of sins. And reconciliation with God forevermore, not by what we've done, not because of who we are and how awesome we are, but because of who he is and how awesome he is and because of how much he has already accomplished for us. To be united with Jesus Christ by faith is to receive all of this as a gift and then to share all of this as a gift with brothers and sisters in the faith here and to the ends of the earth, even in faraway places across the sea, like in Tanzania or in Indonesia or in Japan 
or in other parts of the planet. See, why would, why would we as a church in one specific part of the planet with so many needs here locally, why would we pray for what's going on in, let's just say, Tanzania? Why would we pray for that? Because we are all connected together in Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of His multicultural and international body, the church, has united and joined together people in every part of the planet. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, says there are many people in Dar es Salaam who belong to me. And if we also belong to him, if there are many people in Dar es Salaam who belong to his body, And if we belong to His body also, then together with Jesus Christ, we are all one body with those who are being saved in Dar es Salaam and throughout Tanzania and throughout Africa and throughout Southeast Asia and throughout the South Pacific. Why would we pray globally? Because we are all connected together in Christ. I want to say just kind of one word. I was just, I'm going to do a, maybe just a little aside. I, I want to, you know, just say one little word to the Patterson families over here with their kids. Um, and I'm so glad that you guys are here today. And the Lindstrom family is back here with their kids. And kids, I want you to know I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, And we've got our friends, the Smith family over here with some of their kids, maybe not all of them today. Uh, The Smith family often lives in Indonesia, and they're here for a while right now, participating in our church family. They're going to be going back to keep serving Christ in that part of the planet soon. I just want to say to the Smith kids, I'm, I'm glad that you are here. And one of the things that I want to say, Patterson kids and adults and Lindstrom kids and adults and Smith kids and adults, I just want I just want you to know from my heart, and I think I speak on behalf of this congregation of Christians here in this part of the planet, I want you to know we think of you as an honored part of our family. And we think of you as part of our family when you're here in the United States and you're here in Illinois on Sunday. But I want you to know we think of you as an honored part of our family of faith. Even even when you're there on the other part of the planet, on the other side of the globe, we think of you as kind of part of our extended family. And it is our joy to kind of link arms together with your parents, with your family, is our joy to link arms with with them and together with your whole families, together in Christ. It's our joy to link arms together and say, we not only care about what's going on here in our city, and we not only care about you when you are here in our city, but we care about what's going on in Dar es Salaam, and we care about what's going on in the island of Papua, and we, and we care about you when you're here, and we care about you when you're there. Because we're all connected together in one Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray for you today, on this Sunday, but we're also going to keep on praying for you even when you're living in another part of the planet. Why? Because we're all connected 
together in Jesus Christ, who has many more people he intends to reach here in the city of Aurora, and many more people he intends to reach on the island of Papua, and many more people that he intends to reach in Dar es Salaam. We're going to keep praying for you because we're all one together in our Lord Jesus Christ, whose redeeming power does not know national boundaries whose redeeming power doesn't stop when borders are crossed, whose redeeming power includes people from every nation and tribe and language group and ethnicity on the planet. So why are we praying for you today? Those of you who live here in Aurora, why are we going to pray for them today? And why are we going to keep praying for them in the days, months, years to come? Because we're all united together in Jesus Christ. And what will we pray for? Well, I'll keep it fairly simple, but look at how Paul talks about that. If you turn back to Colossians chapter 4, what kinds of things does Paul want prayer for? At the same time, pray also for us so that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am currently in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. It'll be too simple maybe, but let's boil it down. What is Paul asking for prayer for? He's asking prayer for open doors and for clear communication about Christ. Open doors includes all kinds of circumstantial issues. Open doors are what will make it possible for them to build relationships and stay in that place and keep on proclaiming the good news of Christ. And clear communication is not just the circumstances, it's the, it's the way that we actually share Christ with others. Not only living near them and hanging out with them, but clearly telling them about Jesus. And how much he has done for us. What kinds of things does Paul want prayer for? He wants prayer for things as simple as circumstances, open doors. And for things as specific as this. When I get chances to talk about Jesus, would you pray for me that it would be clear? And so as we pray for our brothers and sisters who are going to serve Jesus and continue serving Jesus in other parts of the planet. Let's pray for all of these kinds of things. We're going to ask the Pattersons and the Lindstroms to come back up in a little bit and share a few ways that they pray. And I hope, by the way, that you won't feel like pressure to be like, okay, I guess my two prayer points are open doors and clear communication, right? But there's a whole lot of sub points that can fit within open doors and clear communication, right? And as they're sharing some specific details about relationships they're building and people they're connecting with and ways that the school is growing and ways that we can pray for them, let's pray for open doors and for clear communication about Christ. Let's pray for the details of their circumstances. And let's pray that the gospel, the good news, the redeeming, the good news about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ would be communicated so clearly that others would hear and join us in rejoicing and singing the praises of the Lamb who was slain. See, listen, we are a part of a multicultural, international, global family of those who have been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as people who are part of a multicultural, international, global family of those who have been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ as one specific church in this specific part of the planet, as we live our ordinary lives, going to work, taking care of our kids, managing our house, doing all of those things, God's word is calling us to expand the range of our focus a little bit wider. To think not only about the things that are going on here, which are important and are certainly worth praying about. But God's word kind of draws our hearts to think a little bit wider and to pray for the needs of those in the body of our one Lord Jesus Christ, even in faraway places like Indonesia or Tanzania. So how can one specific church in this part of the planet play its part in the global scope of the Christian mission. There are a lot of ways. We can give, we can send, we can be informed. But listen, nothing is more fundamental or important than this. Praying. Praying globally. In fact, as we as a church pray and pray and pray globally, you know what else happens? We get more and more excited to give globally. As we pray globally, we get more excited. You know, these, re- these Redeemer mission grants that we've been talking about the last month, and I think we've got eight different proposals for ways that we can just give money to things that are going on in different parts of the world for the sake of the kingdom. Why is that? Just as, as we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, what happens? Our hearts get more engaged and get more eager to give. Our hearts get more engaged. Our hearts get more eager to send. Our hearts get more engaged. Our hearts get more eager to go there are other ways that a specific church can participate in the global scope of the christian mission but none is more important than this praying globally but notice there's a second kind of direction here in paul's words to the church in Colossae, and and it's important for us to notice as well as we think about playing our part in the global scope of the christian mission It's not only that we are called and invited and challenged to pray globally. We are also called and invited and challenged by God through these words to act locally. You've probably seen memes on Facebook or Insta or whatever thing you click on to get angry. (laughs) Um, You know, whatever things you click on, you've seen memes probably that will say things like um, think globally and act locally, right? Like this is the this is the Christian missions version of think globally and act locally right here in Colossians chapter four. If Paul made this text into a meme I mean, I don't know what the picture would be. You can fill in your own picture suggestions later. But I think the words on that meme would be something like this. Pray globally and act locally. Pray globally and participate locally wherever you are. Look with me again at verse 5. The attention turns from pray also for us to now verse 5. Y'all, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. It's not just walk in wisdom in your relationships with each other in the church, but walk with a certain kind of wisdom in the way that you relate with those who might think of themselves as outsiders to the church. 
Walk with a specific kind of wisdom. How can a specific church in a specific place play its part in the Christian mission? Walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think it's really interesting um, that when Paul writes to a specific church with ordinary people living ordinary lives, and he wants to talk about talk to them about how they can play their part in the Great Commission, he invites them to pray for things that are going on on the other side of the planet, but he also invites them to participate in their own particular place. And notice this. He invites them to participate at walking speed. (laughs) Verse 5 uses this metaphor verb of walk. It refers to living your life in a certain kind of way. But notice that the New Testament doesn't call us to sprint along in Christian mission. He invites us just to keep on walking forward in Christian mission. This is a helpful thing for me because sometimes... I tend to do, like, I have, like, two ways of thinking about my part in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the last words of Jesus according to the book of Matthew, when Jesus addresses his followers and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations teaching them or baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you and behold I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age that's the great commission and we think like what's my part in making disciples of all nations and I tend to do one of two things with that either I expect either I expect Pentecost 2.0 Like, if I'm playing my part in the Great Commission, thousands of people will get saved today, or else I do nothing. And it's kind of like Jesus, I'm glad to be a part of the Great Commission if 2,000 people are going to get saved and going to get baptized today, but otherwise, I'll just sit on the sidelines. And the way that Paul talks to ordinary people in ordinary churches, and by the way, we can make the argument that this is how Paul did ministry himself. That's kind of another topic. Come and ask me later if you don't believe me. But, but listen, the way that Paul talks about doing ministry, it's not like you either go warp speed 2,000 people a day or else just sit on the sideline and let other people do ministry. Paul says, ordinary folks, you know how you can play your part? You can do ministry at walking speed. One slow step at a time. This puts us on the right pace for participating in Christian mission within the wider story of redemption. When we have unrealistic expectations, like every day is going to be Pentecost 2.0, we tend to give up, right? We tend to quit, we tend to put ourselves on the sideline, and we tend to think, I'm sure there are gifted people out there somewhere who will reach my neighbors. Instead of realizing that God put you in your neighborhood to love your neighbor. 
God put us in this place to spread the gospel here. And wherever God sends us and scatters us throughout this planet, we're called to be lights, shining the good news in, where, in whatever city he places us in. We're called to live like salt in whatever city we're in. See, Christian mission usually happens at walking speed, not sprinting speed. And that's a helpful reminder for us as we seek to act locally. But it's also important for us to realize as we seek to act locally that Christian mission requires wise and grace-filled conversations. When Paul is writing to this church on the other side of the sea and inviting them to pray for what he's doing for mission, he then turns the issue around and says, y'all also where you are, walk at walking speed, just one day at a time, patiently, but walk in a wise way in relationships with people who are outsiders to the church. And what does that look like? It involves conversations. It involves conversations, right? Let your speech, this conversation language, it assumes we're having conversations with people who are outside of the church. And what will those conversations sound like? Ideally, they're not going to sound like angry shouting matches. In fact, the kinds of conversations... They were called to have with people who are on the outside of the church typically are supposed to be like this. Let your speech always be gracious. Filled with grace. Even toward outsiders who don't understand Christian ethics and don't have a clue about the Bible and are living lives very differently than I'm living my life maybe. And are making decisions that are different than decisions I'm making. And maybe even people who sometimes don't like some of the things about Jesus that I love about Jesus. In some circumstances, maybe even people who would oppose us for our faith. How should our conversations sound with people who are outside of the church? If we're going to act locally and play our part in the global scope of the Christian mission, it requires wise and grace-filled conversations. Grace-filled conversations that assume we're listening to some of the things that they're saying instead of just monologuing at them all the time. Where do I get that? It's because of this idea here in verse 6 that A great part of Christian mission is answering people. You don't answer people when you're just monologuing at them. You answer people when you've listened to them long enough to hear what they're really wondering about. And when you hear what they're really wondering about, you don't go into preacher mode and start yelling red-faced at them. When you hear what they're really wondering about, You go into prayer mode like Paul and say, "Uh uh-oh, I need the Holy Spirit's help. And you say, God, would you work through me here? Would you provide words? And you look for wise ways to keep the conversation going, wise ways to speak with a kind of graciousness that actually reflects the message that we want to tell people about. 
and a kind of graciousness that gets to clear communication about Jesus. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And that's why I'm so glad to live my life serving him. Simple, clear, straightforward communication that answers the deep longings of people's souls. I'm a Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me and he knit me in with the body of Christ and that's where I find the relationships that that I've been so thirsty for throughout my whole life. Meaningful friendships with people who are like a huge multicultural, multi-ethnic, global family for me. It's a really cool thing actually by God's grace. Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me and he forgave me, which is what kind of frees me up to let go of the things that I hold on to about other people. You know, it's hard to forgive and it kind of hurts hurts other people when we don't forgive. It hurts me when I don't forgive, right? But Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me and knowing his forgiveness for me is what frees me up to let go of those offenses and not live enslaved to anger and bitterness anymore. We just give clear, simple, straightforward, grace-filled answers to the deep longings of our friends' souls after we've listened to them long enough to hear what is it that my, my neighbor is really struggling with. We listen we cry out for God's help and we, we ask God just as Paul did, God, keep opening doors and keep giving me clear words and we just tell, our, our, we just tell the, the people who live around us who think of themselves as outsiders to the church, we just keep inviting them in and we just keep using simple, clear words how we ought to speak to answer the longings of each person's heart. Not in such a way that we become the hero of the story, I mean, we're just fellow broken people like the neighbors who live down the street, if we're honest, left to ourselves, right? We aren't the hero of the story. Jesus is. It's his love. It's his transforming power. He's the answer, not me. And that's what we're trying to tell people clearly. And here's the thing. Colossians chapter 4 is inviting us into a participation in Christian mission that happens just at walking speed, not at warp speed. And it's inviting us into a kind of Christian mission that happens at walking speed in real conversations with other people where we're just trying to, with humility, ask God to help us and speak words with graciousness that point to Jesus as the, as the hero of the story. But here's the thing, it sounds so simple in some ways that we might almost be tempted to say, that sounds easy, but I don't think it's going to work. I had a really cool, I heard a really cool story this week that I wanted to share with you guys. 
Um, over here, throughout our building all week this week, uh, if, if you're around here often, you've heard that we are running a world relief camp here at this building throughout the week this week. And um, first of all, let me just say to the teenagers who were here, y'all were heroes to those elementary school kids. So teenagers who were here serving those elementary age kids who have moved to Aurora from other war-torn or or challenging parts of the world seeking refuge in the United States. These kids who have moved from other parts of the planet to be here in Aurora, you were heroes to them in some wonderful ways. Not in ways that make you heroes, but in ways that points to the love of Christ himself, I think. So teenagers, thanks to you. Adults who spent your time here throughout the week, loving those kids, serving them. To those adults who sacrificed time and, oh my goodness, energy. I mean, I went home wiped out and I was in my office typing most of the day, right? I mean, it was just like, it was, I wasn't the one outside running around with them. So to the teenagers, to the adults, thanks so much for running that. But at one point while the, the World Relief Camp was going on, we had 30 elementary age kids who have moved here from other parts of the planet and about 15 volunteers um, from this church, a few volunteers from some other place, some World Relief staff here, and I was talking with one of the World Relief staff members um, out there in the lobby, and um, and she was just trying to communicate, like, your teenagers are awesome. These volunteers are so great. We're so glad we've got to work with Redeemer through the years, and I was saying, I know, we love working with you too, and she was like, no, like, we really love working with you. She said, let me tell you a story, and she started to tell it, and then it was one of those, like, oh no, now I'm going to cry. She said, right, now I'm going to start crying, so give me a minute, but she started telling me this story about one of World Relief's clients that she has known who has come to the United States through some very challenging circumstances, a single mom with several kids and a lot of pain in in their past. That's what leads somebody to become a refugee, right? A lot of pain in her past, and she's moved here from a part of the world where not many people are Christians, where the message of Christ is not very common. But she came, and um, and she, she had these kids with her and transitioning. I mean, could you just imagine if they dropped you off somewhere in Central Asia, and you barely knew the language, and you barely knew the culture, you barely knew how to get food, and where do you even, you know, how, how do you even get to where food is found? I mean, so many questions. And she comes here trying to take care of her kids, answering all of these questions. And the World Relief staff member was telling me, she just had a conversation with a single mom recently who told her through her own tears, my kids are different now that they know the Jesus. I'm so glad that we came here because my kids know the Jesus and now my kids are so different. And then this mom told the staff member that I was talking to, and now because my kids know the Jesus, I know the Jesus too. And that World Relief staff member said to me through her tears, she said, that's because of what you guys have been doing for the last seven years. Those kids met you guys at after-school clubs when you were just sitting down with them and helping them with homework. Those kids went with you to summer youth camps and just had fun and just played games and just had honest conversations with youth camp counselors who really cared about them and who really listened to what they were thinking about and who really told them about Jesus in a safe environment where the conversation could go both ways. 
And she said, that happened through you guys in ways that you wouldn't even recognize it, in ways that the, the members of your church wouldn't even be aware. Those simple things that you've been doing through the years have led those kids to know the Jesus. And now mom says that she knows the Jesus too. And so here's my point. How can one specific church in one part of the planet play a role in the global scope of the Christian mission? Listen, it's really important for us to pray globally, to pray much wider than our lives and our city and our state and our nation. It's important for us to pray globally, but it's also important for us to act locally just at walking speed, just sitting down with kids and helping them with tutoring just having open conversations with people who are from different backgrounds or who are curious about Jesus, saying, I don't yet understand it or I don't yet believe. Just having open, grace-filled, wise conversations at walking speed rather than at warp speed. And what happens? The redeeming power of our Lord who sent His Son Jesus to give His life as a ransom for many, reaches down through those ordinary walking speed conversations and those ordinary gracious relationships. And our great Lord and Savior reaches down and draws into His own embrace a few kids and a mom and a family over there and a family over here. And the point is not like, that's how our church is going to get bigger. You know, too often when we talk about mission, we just think this is about how size is going to grow. Too often the metrics in Christianity in America are just how many decisions were made for Jesus. But what if we change the scorecard away from how many decisions were made from Jesus to how many walking speed, grace-filled discussions did we have this week? What if we change the scorecard from how many decisions were made from Christ to how many people did we love as representatives of Jesus? And how many loving conversations did we have where we listened hard enough to hear what's going on in our friends' hearts so that we could just talk clearly and simply about Jesus Christ, who's not only my hero and your hero and our hero, but the hero of the whole world. What if we change the scorecard and make it more about just continuing on, each of us here in in our own part of the planet at walking speed, continuing loving, wise, grace-filled conversations about Christ? How can one church in one part of the planet play a part in the global scope of the Great Commission? Well, by praying globally and acting locally. By praying globally for the cause of Christ and participating locally in the mission of Christ. With Him as our hero here and with the hope of seeing His name exalted as the hero of every people group around the planet. How can we play our part? Praying globally, 
participating locally. And so today, I hope that Tanzania Sunday will have a couple of effects for us. I hope that one will be that we will pray for our brothers and sisters. We're going to invite them up in just, I don't know, about two minutes or so. We're going to invite them up. We're going to pray for them. I want to pray for them, and I want this praying not to be like the end of our praying for Tanzania for for a while, but I hope that this will be like a building moment where we pray more and more for what's going on with those people that we're connected with on the other side of the sea and on the other side of the planet. I hope this will be a building moment for us as we pray more and more fervently for what our Redeemer is doing around the world. But I hope there will also be something stirred in our hearts to say, wow, Jesus Christ is Lord everywhere. And actually, Jesus Christ is Lord in Aurora. And he's, a, he's the Lord in my neighborhood. And I want to pray that other people see the light of the good news of his redeeming work. And I want to pray that the people next door see the light of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to reconcile us with God. And I hope that the effects of Tanzania Sunday will be to stir us to pray more and more for the kingdom of God to unfold in every part of the planet, in every nation. And I pray that it will, I hope it will lead us also to participate and take walking speed steps in our own neighborhoods to see the kingdom of God continuing forward.